a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So that's that out of the way. Okay, those that you have ever preached before, um, or whether you brought a word to the life group, or whatever it might be, uh, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm constantly on the edge of my seat waiting for someone to bring a couple of the words I'm going to use in my preach to make me sort of think that I'm slightly on track in what God's put in my life to bring today. Unfortunately, I didn't hear a single one this morning, so I'm slightly out on a limb, I think. So I heard something about the supernova, we talked about the waters, but we didn't talk anything about plants or growth and that's what I want to talk about today. So if you bear with me I'm trying to do a bit of a dual role here. I'm trying to look at my, my preach here and I'm also I'm, I'm ferreting underneath this table here to find what I need. So I'm talking about the five stages of spiritual growth today. Now you think flipping it that's going to be here for about a month of Sundays but actually I intend to get through it in about 25 minutes. And I want to try and make an analogy between a plant's growth and a Christian's growth from being a non-Christian to being rooted and established in God. So that's why I've brought a little bit of prop with me. Okay, Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, you were dead in your transgressions and sin when you followed the way of the world. So here we are. First little prop here onto my horticultural table. It is a pot, an empty black pot with some compost in it, okay? That's for the tape. Now I'm really worried when you sit there smiling. Okay, so here we have a pot. And in this pot, I'm going to put... Where's my scissors? I don't know, where are they? Some seeds. The seeds being our lives in God, okay? So, I'm tipping out on this table here, not that you can see them. I'm going to hold one up so you can actually get... Everybody see that? It's a marigold seed, okay? It doesn't matter what seed it is, but it's a seed, okay? <laughs> Are you sure you haven't got to go out and take the youth? <laughs> it's a marigold seed, okay? So, this represents our life in the world. So, I'm going to put it in this pot, okay? And I'm going to push it down deep. And under this table here, um, I've got a little tub here with some compost in. Spoon, compost, compost spoon, just like that. Compositor up, just like that. That goes back underneath there. I press it well down, and that represents our lives in the world. Before we became a Christian, before we knew God, that is us in darkness, okay? So we are dead in our transgressions. Sin separated us from God. So at that stage, let me put that black bag back on top of there. That's our sin, basically, before we knew God, separated us from God even having anything to do with our lives. So that sits on the table there for the time being. And that seed, or our lives at that stage, is in a state of spiritual dormancy. Now Jesus describes those, and describes us before we came to have a knowledge of God, as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now if you think back, if you can, to the days when you didn't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, those that do know that here this morning, think what your life was like. You may have have had some pleasures in your life, but they weren't, I would guess, long-lasting you may have this gap inside your life, basically. The only thing that could fill that was Jesus Christ. Now, and sometime later, what we're looking for is some germination from that seed. That's a marigold seed, which I'll put in that pot there, or any seed. It happens to be a marigold seed, but it doesn't really matter. 
Okay, so that seed needs some conditions to grow, does it not? Those that you know a lot about horticulture. And actually, who does know about horticulture here? Because I'm going to pay for you to go out for the cinema. Kev, right, here's two quid. Go to the cinema for the next half an hour, just in case you find out what I'm telling you is a bunch of lies. Okay, so it needs the right conditions, doesn't it? This seed in this pot, it needs good soil. Okay, it needs a controlled environment, heat and sunlight, etc. And it needs some water for it to grow. And what else it needs? It needs a faithful gardener who will persist even when there seems to be no evidence of growth. So my wife is quite good at gardening, actually, so she should actually be standing up here. But she'll put these seeds in the pots and put them on the windowsill, and I'll see nothing for week after week after week. But she will assure me that she's done the job. Now, I don't know any, any different until the little green shoots start to appear above the, the uh, compost. But actually, it takes some time for that to actually germinate and come to the surface. Now, I guess many of us here have probably had very faithful friends who in the past, before you became a Christian, have prayed faithfully for you to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ in your lives. And that's what we all need at that stage, is a faithful friend, a faithful gardener. They had compassion on us, I guess, those people, because they saw the fact we were separated from God by our sins. Now, some of you here might have heard of the Engel scale. Now, James Engel, in about the 1970s, came up with a, a chart, basically, which plotted the, um, I guess, the growth of a non-Christian to becoming a Christian, having a knowledge of God. And he goes on to explain in his notes, basically, that there's probably eight stages that a Christian, a non-Christian, will go through before they come to a knowledge of God in their lives. And the, the starting point, e.g., point number eight, is that it had... Um, uh, number, stage number eight would be an awareness of a supreme being, e.g. I think there's something out there, but I don't know what it is, but no awareness of the gospel, to stage eight, e.g. Each, each of those stages working upwards, to a repentance and faith in God. Now, I don't know about angle scale, but I know in my own life it didn't happen like that. And I just want to quickly give you my testimony, and I'll tell you how God sometimes uh, is on the throne. Sometimes the angle scales and things we put into life doesn't always work that way. So before I became a Christian, I thought, I guess, that my life was fairly secure. I had a good job. I had a lovely fiancé who I married later on. Um, I had a good car, a good job. I had plenty of money. I didn't really want for anything, I thought, at that stage. But unbeknown to me, um, there was a lady that worked with Julie who was praying for her. Um, and Julie and I were engaged at that stage, but going through a really quite a difficult time in our relationship. And this woman invited Julie to a, a, an evening with a someone that was um, a missionary and um, I was working as a chef at those, in those days and I turned up quite late to pick Julie up for the meeting and when I got out when I got to the, the place where Julie was Julie came out to the car and said you have got to come in and listen to this lady and I thought do I really want to at the end of a long shift go in and listen to this lady who's a missionary which I have absolutely no connection with whatsoever talk about this guy called Jesus Christ um, and I thought no I don't particularly but actually, I found myself getting out of that car and going into the room, and I never to this day know why that happened, apart from the compelling love of God made me do that. When I look back now, I realise what that was all about. So I went into the room, and here was this woman sitting cross-legged on the floor, I'll never forget it, talking about uh, how she'd been called by God to go out to Hong Kong, to the Wall City, and to give her life totally to the drug addicts and the gang members out there. Uh, she left the shores of England in about 1972, I think it was, uh, with very little money in her, in her purse because God told her to go and she started to bring the gospel to the walled city in Hong Kong. 
And as she sat on the floor there, she started telling some remarkable stories about how the, the, drug, the drug barons and the, the leaders of the gangs out there had turned their lives around completely and given their heart to Jesus. And I thought, well, well. And some of these guys had come off heroin and they'd gone through cold turkey and it left, you know, there'd be no problems coming off heroin. And I sat and listened to this and I thought, either this woman's got to be the biggest liar and fraudster I've ever heard or she's genuinely got something that I need to have in my own life. Her face was radiant as she went through these stories. And I thought, yeah, there's something about it. So, now I didn't know about this at this stage. I mean, this woman that brought Julie to the meeting was sitting in the room as well. And I thought that I, when I look back at the angle scale, I went from point eight on it to point one in that one evening because I realised that I needed what this woman had right there and then. I didn't want to discuss it. I didn't want to look at the Bible. I just wanted what she had straight there. So, sometimes God is sovereign, isn't he? And he, and he goes against what we sometimes put down on a piece of paper. But that's the faithful gardeners that we need in our lives. Okay, so now we've got this seed in this pot here, which I will put uh, on the floor again. Good point. Okay. And we bring up pot number two. Now, pot number two, for those that might be listening to the tape, when I take off the black covering, which was the sin, we suddenly realise we've got some growth. Oh, well, it's not that good. <laughs> You're easily pleased, that's for sure. Okay, so I've got a bit of growth in this pot now. Okay, because 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, we're called out of his darkness into his wonderful light. So if this faithful person has been praying for us, at some stage, and we've watered it and the conditions are right, at some stage we're going to make a decision in our lives to follow Christ or not. And if we decide to follow Christ, we, almost, we burst into the, the light, coming out from the compost, as it were, into his wonderful light. And Luke 15 verse 7 says, there will be much rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And as I've been preparing this, a couple of things have just hit me right between the eyes again about the majesty of Jesus Christ. Remember what happened to you on the first day you repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. An absolute miracle happened on that day. Romans 3.26 says that in that moment you were justified or declared righteous before God. That word justified is so really important. It refers to your status before God. When you put your faith in Jesus, God the judge hands down the verdict that you are righteous. Then he transfers the perfect, sinless record of Jesus to you. This is amazing grace at its most amazing. In that one moment when you first believed, your past sin didn't cease to exist and you hadn't done any good hadn't done any good work that could somehow make up for your disobedience, yet God totally and completely forgave you. He not only wiped the record of your sin away, he credited the righteousness of his son to you. Now, if that doesn't blow you away sitting here today, I don't know what does, because that, to me, is one of the most remarkable things that we're ever going to hear in our whole lives. Not that I brought it, it's because Jesus has done that for us. Uh, the minute we said, Jesus, come into my life, I forgive Please forgive me for my past sins. That very minute, we were justified and made righteous with God. We didn't have to work to it. We didn't deserve anything. But he poured his grace upon our lives. And that, to me, is absolutely amazing. On that same day, when you gave your life to God, as well as becoming justified, the work of sanctification also began. When God declares a sinner righteous, he immediately begins the process of making that sinner more like his son. How is this done? Through the work of his spirit, through the power of his word, and through the fellowship with other believers. 
God starts to peel away our desire for sin, renews our minds and changes our lives. This ongoing work is called sanctification and it is a process of becoming more like Christ and growing in holiness. This process starts, uh, this process begins the instant you are converted and it will not end until you meet Jesus face to face. So we have our seedling in the pot here now. So what do we want to do for this? So if you're a new Christian, sometimes what I need to do is we need to actually take you from this pot where you still have quite a foothold in the world and we need to pull you up. Wow, what big roots. Wow, look at that. And we need you to put you in this pot. And then when we get to that stage, once you've been put into the kingdom, we might need to support you. So we put a little twig in there. And then with my little timies, this is very technical, isn't it? I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. (laughs) But I know I'll get away with this. And we tie the stake around there. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? It's like Blue Peter. Okay. So now my, my plant, or my new Christian, has now got some support. Now what does support speak of? It's I guess it speaks of the church, friendships, the Bible, anything that we're going to put alongside. Now I just want to stop at this point, and I would just want to think about how this church operates in supporting new Christians. And I just want to uh, bring some honour to a couple that sits in this church here who've done a fantastic job in bringing new Christians through. So a lot of people have been on the Alpha course here. A lot of people who are currently sitting in this room have been on the Beta course that have been run by Graham and Maggie. And I was thinking as I was preparing this, what a great job Graham and Maggie have done. And sitting in this church currently, we have Martin and Claire, Bev and Kev and Tina, who are all results of coming through that Beta course. Okay? Yeah? So I think, actually, they've done a most fantastic job Okay, in looking after our baby Christians. And those guys are now growing in God fantastically. So it's a credit to you guys, and thank you so much. I honour you two guys this morning. Okay, so we've got this plant now, staked up nicely, supported well by the church. Um, where do I put that? Oh, back down there again. That's right. Okay, now, so we're growing quite well in the Lord, but sometimes... So I'm now holding up a very withered plant. Or dead plant. Okay, so what causes the Christian to go from good seedling, well supported, to this? Let me make a couple of suggestions why I think that sometimes happens, and maybe there's many more. Sometimes we make poor decisions in our lives as Christians, don't we? Matthew 7 Verses 25 to 27 says, But anyone who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who builds his house on the sands. And we know in that particular story in the Gospels that the rain and the wind come basically and that, sat, that house is washed away off the sands as opposed to the man who built his house in stone and it withstood all the pressures and the tempests that, threw, uh, that came upon it. Now, I might be old-fashioned here, and I'm sure you'll tell me if I am, 
But when I was a young Christian, the one thing that I really valued in the church was senior people in the church who I could go to and just run decisions past. And I think maybe things have changed in this day and age, but I don't think that happened so much in the church that it used to. Now, when we were young married couple, I guess, if we had to make a major decision with our life, so if we were to, I guess, change jobs, move house, make a big financial decision with our lives, we used to go and seek somebody in the church out and just run them by it. Um, and this wasn't a church that was full of heavy shepherding. It wasn't people that saying, you must come and do this. But actually, at that stage, we felt we wanted to do that to make sure that we were almost not under authority with a, with a big A, but actually people were praying for us and seeing us through the situation. I don't think that exists in the church so much these days. And I'm not saying it should do, but I'm saying as far as we're concerned as elders in this church, we would like to say that if anybody wants to come and seek us over anything you're doing in the, in the church in your life, then we would be really up for just sitting down and praying with you guys. Okay, so that's the first time. So maybe the first section. So maybe it's just we're bad at making decisions and we're building on the wrong thing. Uh, maybe secondly, you think you can make it on your own. And I know I've mentioned this once before, but I used to work with a guy in my very early Christian life, a guy called Rowley. Um, and he used to work when I first started off in a bakery. He used to work alongside me. A fantastic Christian man. Uh, I learned a lot from this guy. And in the workplace, he was very evangelistic and he gossiped the gospel constantly from the start of the day to the end of the day. Now. That put some people's backs up, but actually he was bringing the word of, of God to the, to the building I was working in. Now the one, thing, the one sad thing about Rowley was that he felt he could do things by himself. And he wasn't part of a church. He was a bit like an island, really. He just thought, I can get through this Christian walk by myself. But when the tempest came, when the pressure came on Rowley's life, he folded, basically, because he had no one to go and support him. Uh, and he floundered, and basically, probably about five or six years later, I bumped into him, and he completely walked away from God by that stage, which is a tragedy, because the guy was so full of God when I first met him. So, 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your, dev- your, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking for someone to devour. Be wise and alert, basically. We know the enemy hates Christians, The devil is the accuser of you and me and the church, it says in Revelation 12, verse 10. And you will get accusations put your way. Third one, maybe you think you have a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom of God. And 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 warns, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can lightness have with darkness? And maybe a fourth suggestion would be we can sometimes become resentful at God. Maybe something has happened we'd not expected to happen. Something you've been praying for for years has not materialised. And Hebrews 3 verse 8 says, Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. And remember those Israelites went round in the desert for 40 years. A whole generation was lost because they rebelled against what God wanted them to do. So let's put our withered old plants back underneath the table. I'm sure you'll be sad to see it go, but it has to be done. And... I know, I know. So you all recognise cannabis plants then, do you? I thought so. Actually, this is a pansy, a pansy plant. It's not a cannabis plant at all. Okay, so this is a plant with good growth. So what causes good growth? Right, Ephesians 3.17 talks about being rooted and established in God. 
Okay, so you can sort of get the, the interpretation of what we're trying to get here. So as a young Christian, as a new Christian, we need to get into the word, we need to get into the church, we need to make sure that we're in a life group, people are supporting us, and we will start to grow and grow and grow, okay, in that situation there. So that's what Ephesians 3.17 talks about. Colossians 2 verse 7 talks about the same thing. It talks about being rooted and built up into him, being strengthened in the faith, faith that you were taught. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 reinforces the message. You also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. However, good growth can also sometimes throw up some issues. Apathy and complacency can sometimes set in, if not checked. Now, our testimony on our move to Derby goes a little bit like this. Probably about eight years ago now, um, we were part of a really excellent church down in Sussex and uh, been in that church for some 20 years, I guess, probably at that stage. Loved the church, great people, etc., etc. But at that stage, God started to shake our roots a little bit as a couple. And we started to go to other churches because our son was moving around the country with his university and started to bump into people that were talking about church planting. Didn't know what it was. Never heard of it in our church, to be quite honest with you. And, and Julie and I started to feel, actually, we quite like to get involved in this somewhere, but didn't know where. My job didn't take me anywhere out of Sussex at that stage. And so I was pretty much, um, at that stage, left in my own church. Now, we got a bit complacent in there. We were doing church, if that means anything to anybody. We were coming in on a Sunday maybe sitting in the chair, maybe bringing a, a prayer or something. But actually, we were going through the motions. It was a big church, a lot of very good people in it, so there didn't seem to be sort of uh, openings, if you like, for us to, to take on any other ministries, nor that we felt that we were going to do that anyway. Um, and so we felt that um, God was shaking our roots, moved us up here eventually, uh, and that's really how sometimes God does it for us. And sometimes... Apathy and complacency sets in and, it, and we say to ourselves, I'll get round to that when, I'll get around to that when my job changes or when I've moved house or when I've had the first baby or when my kids leave home or when they finish school, I'll get round to that. And sometimes tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow never come round basically. And in Deuteronomy, God says to the, the men of Jerusalem and Judah, you need to break up the fallow ground. Now behind us, where we walk the dogs sometimes, uh, there is a lot of ploughed fields, and the guys just finished ploughing it. And if you've seen a ploughed field, the furrows in that ploughed field basically are massive. And you couldn't possibly think of planting anything in those fields until the farmer brings his harrow over the top and breaks all the topsoil down into nice little chunks. He then takes his little drilly thing along, makes nice little rivety holes in it. See, I know all about this stuff. Makes nice little holes in it, and then he drops little things into the little holies, and then he covers up the top here again. So that's how it happens then, see? It's as simple as that. But actually, um, it's all about breaking up the fallow ground. And sometimes we can become very, very pot-bound. So when I lift this, pot out of, this plant out of this pot, can you see all those white roots? Yeah, this plant has become pot-bound and needs to be planted onto a bigger pot. <laughs> bigger pot. Bigger pot, plant, plant, bigger pot. Okay, so I've now put it into my bigger pot, just in case anybody wasn't watching, it's in there in the bigger pot, okay? Okay, so sometimes we need to move ourselves spiritually from one area of, of service or a church or a ministry to something else. Now, 
About the time when Julie and I were thinking of moving up to, to Derby, we went to a leaders' conference in Brighton, and Terry Virgo, who heads up the New Frontiers movement, um, was speaking from Deuteronomy 32, verse 11. And it says in there, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and then carries them on its pinions. And as he started to bring that verse to the ensemble, um, it very much resonated with my heart, basically, because if you know anything about eagles, uh, it's not like any other bird that can sometimes, when it's ready to fly, get out on a branch and walk along and then go to another branch. They're usually built at the top of mountains, aren't they, these things? So when the eagle starts to fly first time, it literally, it's the mother eagle, kicks it out of the nest and it takes its own chance, basically. But the mother eagle will always fly down underneath it, won't it? And if, if it looks like the baby's going to fail to fly, the mother eagle comes up underneath it and catches it. So it's a beautiful symbol, basically, of, of Jesus and us, really, as well. But we felt, basically, this, this mother, this nest, shaking a little bit here. Basically, that's what Terry was saying to, to you and I, to, to, to Julie and I. And he made a very strong point after that. He said, sometimes, if you stay, you go. And if you go, you go. So, therefore, if you stay in the church that you're called to stay in, you're still on the front foot. You're still making things happen. You're still going for God. And if you go from that church or if you go from that ministry, you still go. Okay, you, there's, no sort of, there's no apathy there. There's no sort of um, taking a back seat. We're on the front foot for God wherever. Whether we stay or we go, we go. And I feel actually this morning, when I come back to that, when I tie up what I'm bringing to you this morning, I believe there's someone here even this morning that this is speaking to. Not necessarily leaving this church, but going to somewhere different within the church to pick up a ministry. Okay, there is great security when God moves you onto new pastures. Isaiah 42 verse 3 says this, He will not break a bruised reed, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. And then Paul also reminds us in Hebrews 12 verse 2 that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Do you think for one minute he will ever, ever let you down? It's impossible. It's impossible for him to let you down. And Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, We find that God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Okay, what a faithful word from God that is as well. Okay, so now we've got our pots bound pot, pot bound plant into a new pot. So I'm going to pop those back under the table. How many more plants has you got under the table, you're thinking? I know what you're thinking, I can see it in your eyes. Okay, now I want you to look in your Bibles, please, because you've been very dormant here at the moment, so I need you to get a little bit of action here. I want you to look up John 15 for me, verses 1 to 8. And these will be extremely familiar passages to you. John 15, 1 to 8. And in my Bible, it's headlined, The Vine and the Branches. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we have a most wonderful illustration here of Jesus the vine, God the gardener, and the Holy Spirit as the sap and the life of the vine. It's an amazing analogy of the trilogy, sorry, the trilogy, the trinity in action. (laughs) Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Okay, verse 4, remain in me and I remain in you. It's the most amazing love story that has ever been told. God sent his only son on this earth to walk as a man, to be insulted, rebuked, whipped and beaten in our place. To die a terrible death on a cross after being flayed, beaten, his side pierced for our transgressions. And even at that stage when he hung on the cross, he still had compassion on the robber that was hanging next to him and said to him, today you will be in paradise with me. What a God. What a God. You'll never read a more amazing love story than what's in this Bible. It's all about God's love for us. And the question that this verse in John 15 asks us is are all of us here still connected to that vine this morning if you're not connected to Jesus through the forgiveness of your sin if you have not let Jesus rescue you from drowning in a turbulent sea of sin then you are as good as dead the life you are living is currently empty and meaningless because you are not connected to this source of life For we know from Romans 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The cross was empty, the tomb was empty, but yet still we'll bump into Christians who look inside that grave still thinking that God has not risen to glory, not understanding the wonder of this gospel that we bring today. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father even today. One big challenge for us here is to ask ourselves how much fruit is being produced. Is there no fruit, some fruit, or an abundance of fruit? Some of you may be thinking exactly what is this fruit we are expected to produce? Well, some have taught that this fruit Jesus is talking about is obedience. This fits in with the context that those who love Christ will obey his commands. Others have taught that this fruit is to reproduce other believers. One of the signs of life is that it reproduces itself. Fruit carries within it a seed that has the ability to reproduce. Others have taught that the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. This is the evidence that you are connected to the vine. So which one is it? Matthew 7 verses 16 to 18 says this, by their fruits you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruits, but bad trees bears, bear bad fruits. A good tree cannot bear bad fruits, And a bad tree 
cannot bear good fruit. Jesus says we will always recognise the fruits. We will become fruit inspectors, so to speak. So is obedience to Christ's words something that the life of Christ will produce within the life of a believer? Yes, I believe it is. Is reproduction of new believers something that Jesus' life within you will yield as fruit? Yes, I believe that's the case as well. Is the fruit of the Spirit a byproduct of Christ's life at work within a believer? Yes, that's the case as well. We should all desire to produce more and more of all of this fruit. Verse 2 says here, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. What is it then that restricts the production of fruit? In a word, it's self. We love Christ, his spirit is in us, and his fruit is evident in our lives. But from time to time we stop relying on Christ and rely upon our own strength and ability. What does the Father do? It is then that the branch is unable to produce fruit. No branch can bear fruit by itself. What does the Father do for the branch that only produces some fruits? Does he cut off the branch and throw it away? The literal translation from the Greek says it's actually to lift the branch up. No, he prunes it in order that we may stop depending on self, in order that we may fully rely on Christ and bear much fruit. So here we have the vine. There's a vine apparently in Hampton Court that's a thousand years old and it has a circumference of its root that goes into the ground of about two feet. The longest branch in that vine is 200 feet long and year after year for the last 1,000 years it's produced tons of grapes. Why is that the case, I wonder? Because the gardener in Hampton Court prunes the vine. So in this vine, I guess what the word here is saying to us that what Jesus does is sometimes he gets hold of the secretaires and cuts back things in our lives that don't honour him. So that we may stop depending on ourselves and be more reliant on him. But have any of you noticed how painful pruning can be? It is painful, but it's also productive. So if I look at this vine here, hmm, where does one start, he says? There's something here. You probably can't see it from where you're sitting, but actually, complete dead wood, there's no branch, on, there's no buds on that at all. So I will prune that back to the nearest bud. Now, if I was actually in my garden now, with these in my hand, Julie would run out and rugby tackle me to the ground <laughs> because she knows how ruthless I am when I get hold of a pair of these. And they're probably locked under lock and key in our house as we speak. I've only had them out for a day and I've got to sign them back in when I get home again. <laughs> But actually, it's really important, actually, that we prune these things back. Now, I prune things back just above the ground sometimes, and I think I killed something last year. Did I, was it a budlier I killed? I can't remember what I killed. But anyway, it didn't grow again. So, job done. But actually, you have to be careful with these things, because if you cut the wrong thing off here, you're actually cutting off some sap. So, we're only looking for dead wood in here, and that's all God's looking for in our lives, to prune back, is the dead wood in our lives. That, that brings him no glory. So sometimes it's painful, isn't it? And I'm sure I'm speaking to a lot of people in the room that have sometimes gone through a little bit of pruning from God. And it is painful and it hurts and you think, will I ever come out from underneath this again? You know, and it may be lots of things have happened here. It may be, I don't know, 
I can think of lots of things, but perhaps it's not pertinent to bring them now. But you know what God cuts out of our lives, things that don't honour him. Hebrews 12, verse 7, and, verse 7 and 11 says this, Endure hardship as a discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And then verse 11 goes on to say, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I wonder what your heart is today. Is it your heart to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace in the kingdom? That would be my heart. So how much fruit are we producing? No fruit, some fruit, or an abundance of fruit. It is for the Father's glory that we bear much fruit. Let us glorify God with our lives. So when we finished, when God's finished with this vine, when he's finished pruning it back and taking off the things that don't honour him to make the new buds grow even stronger, to produce even more fruits, it goes on, doesn't it, right through our Christian lives. I've been a Christian for 30 years and I'm still learning lots of things. And eventually, it produced something of beauty, doesn't it? Yeah? Something like this, a primula. (laughs) Something with flowers on it, something that's beautiful to God, something that he can look at and say, yeah, And remember when Jesus looks at us, I'll never get to grips with this one. When Jesus looks at us, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. I'll never understand that. And that justification, I'll never understand that. And that dying on the cross, I'll never understand that until I see standing face to face with God in glory. But I'm a recipient of that standing here today. And it's actually blown my mind as I prepared for this. How God loves each one of us so much. So I want to give this plant to Charlotte today. Because Charlotte's been very good here, sitting here. And this plant is for you, Charlotte. Yes, you've got to look after it. Because if, it, if it's left with me, it wouldn't stand a chance. So, I want just like you to bow your heads now. And I want you to think of all the types of plants that I have put on this table today. And I want you to think where you are in your Christian walk. So I wonder if there's someone here today that's come along that doesn't know Jesus as their saviour. And you sat and you've heard what I've said today and you think, hmm, I'm not quite sure if this is for me now. Sounds a bit interesting. I might want to go away and think about it. I might want to go away and pray about it. But the days are short. Jesus is coming back from his wonderful bride. And you don't want to get caught out by thinking, I'll put it off for another day, another day, another day. God is challenging, I believe, someone here today, even today, is to make a decision for him. To say, yeah, I've heard about you, Jesus, today. It's reinforced what I've already believed. And I want to make a commitment to you today. I want to say to you, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done in my life. And I want to just commit my life to you, as so many people in this room have already done. So maybe you're in the first pot. Maybe you're buried deep in the world. And you're thinking, well, I'm not quite sure where this shaft of light is coming from. And maybe today is just a little bit of a shaft of light into your situation. You think, yeah, today is the day when I hand my life over to the King of Kings. And maybe you're in the second pot. Maybe you're a seedling here in this church. And you think, actually, what I do need today is a little bit of support. I've seen that seedling in that pot that you've shown me, John. But actually, I don't feel that sticks anywhere close to me. And I don't feel attached to that. And maybe I'm trying to do things in my own strength. And actually, can I tell you right here today, you'll fail in that. No one can stand by themselves. You need 
You need the church. You need someone getting alongside you. You need the word of God in your life. So if that's you, I want you to consider your situation today. And maybe the third thing I showed you today was that withered plant. And I gave you lots of reasons why that plant may be withered. Maybe you think you can do things by yourself. Maybe you think you can make it on your own. Maybe you've made some poor decisions which you felt have disqualified you from God. That's impossible to do. Maybe you think you can still have one foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom of God. Maybe you've become resentful from God. And it just doesn't seem that the lifeblood of Jesus is flowing through you at the moment. I believe God wants to set people in this room free to be attached to his vine again today. And maybe you've become today a bit pot-bound, which was pot number four. And maybe you want to get out and explore something else. Maybe you've seen a ministry within the church or God's calling you to maybe another country or somewhere and you just wanted someone to say today, yeah, I think that's you. And maybe you're not sure. Maybe you want to just get alongside someone and get someone to pray for you today. But I believe somebody falls into that category. And then we think of the vine and we think of the dead wood and we've all got dead woods. Whether we're too proud to admit it or not, it's a different matter, but we've all got dead wood in our lives, which doesn't honour God's. And it could be lots of things. It could be lack of self-control. It could be this one foot in the camp thing again, couldn't it? It could be all sorts of things, but it's just not honouring to God. And you know that God's going to have to prune you back. And I feel that this church this year is going to go through a couple of things. I believe God's calling us again to holiness. He's a holy God and he says, I'm a holy God, so therefore we should be holy ourselves. And I believe God is calling this church to obedience as well. And those two things often come before revival breaks out as well. So I'm not saying that that's the case, but I'm saying those two things need to be in place before we see God's work in a miraculous way in this fellowship. So maybe that's you. Maybe today you know that there's some things in your life that aren't honouring for God. And you just want to say, God's, I just bow the knee today and I just ask you in your grace and your mercy, please take those things away from me. And if that's the case with you today, I would love to pray for you. And maybe you're the last plant that I gave Charlotte, that one with a lovely flower on the top. And you're just in the heyday of your Christian walk, as it were, and you're having a great time with God and everything's just good in your garden, as it were. And I just want to say to you, then, fantastic. Praise God. Come up and help me pray for people today when we ask people to come forward because we need people like that at that stage of your career. We're all going to go through different seasons in our lives. But if you're in a season of growth and going for God, then praise God, that's great for you. Bless his name. So I just wonder if um, we can have some musicians back up. Maybe, Matt, can you just come back up and play the keyboard for a second just to um, give us a little bit of background music? And I just want to throw this open now. And I've given you lots of examples of of why I think you might want to come forward today. And I'm not pressurising anybody at all. I've given you lots of examples. If you look at the plants on this table, where do you fit? And if you want to produce fruits then some of us may have to change some of the things we're doing in our lives. So as Matt's just playing in the background, I'm certainly not going to draw out this thing here, this, uh, this end of the service, for very much longer. But if you want prayer for any one of those things, if you fall into any of those categories, I'd just like you to come up. And I've just felt God's put some things in my heart, specifically today, um, that he wanted me just to bring to you. I feel here, and I realise the first two things I'm going to bring are really difficult to respond to. But things that keep us from our walk with God sometimes, um, I believe there are two guys here 
who are caught up in pornography this morning and it's really become a big, big issue in your lives. And it started off with being just a sort of a a passing thing, but actually it's got so big now, really, that you're almost held captive by this thing of pornography. And I believe there's also a lady here um, who's got a problem with drink this morning as well. Now, you don't, you, you thought you can get, you get out of it, you thought that you can break the habit, but actually it's got a bit of a hold on you. And these things here have become really unhelpful friends for you in your walk with Christ. And if that's you, I'd love to pray for you. I realise how difficult that is for you to get out of your seat, but God opposes the proud. Um, So by just getting out of your seat and coming for prayer today, basically, you've already started the whole process of being delivered from that. But I'd just like to throw it open to anybody else, basically, this morning that just wants to go on with God. And maybe you just want to be attached to that vine. You feel, I just feel a little bit apart from the vine. I just want to be attached to that vine again. I just want to feel that lifeblood of Jesus flowing through me again and again. I want to pray for you that God will come and do that in your life. So can I ask you to be very bold uh, and get out of your seats if any of those things are spoken to any of you right now. And we just want to get you together and we want to pray for you guys. Yes, we were praying praying this morning. I also got a sense that God was going to be calling people on to new ministries. Um, And I just wanted to share that actually sometimes we can be held back by feeling out of our depth in those situations and we can look at other people and think, well, they're leaders and they do those things. And actually, I think many of us leaders, and I, I would testify to saying that actually... Sorry, I'm wrong. <laughs> um, that... Um, God's called us to things that I felt very scared about, I felt really out of my depth in, but actually God knows us and he gives us the skills and talents and abilities to to do these things. He doesn't call us to areas where he's not going to give us what we need, Uh, so just encourage you to go for that. And and also the sense of actually being young Christians as well, not uh, discounting yourselves from that, that God's going to call you to exciting things. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.